Romans chapter 14. I know I'd said that we'd be in Romans 15, but just want to tie up a little bit from this chapter before we get into uh, chapter 15. So I'm going to go ahead and read beginning of verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth, regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify Another, for meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So we continue on our uh, quest here in this study of Christian liberty. 
uh, with the primary subject beginning with a look at Christmas, but keeping in mind that this could deal with any number of topics as we've looked at several of them in the midst of this series. If you remember in the first sermon, we looked at verses 1 through 2 primarily, considered the thought that we must receive one another with our different different perspectives and practices. And then in the second sermon, I looked at verses 3 through 5 with the thought that we must not despise one another or judge one another because of our differing perspectives and practices. Then in the third sermon, I continued with that thought and looked at verses 6 through 13a. Last Sunday, the final stretch of Romans 14, we considered the fact that we must be prepared as Christians to regulate our practices in the spiritual well-being of our brethren. And like I said, I mentioned that, Lord willing, we would uh, go into chapter 15 today. But as I was meditating on this text and thinking about it, I wanted to go back and just kind of look over the latter part of chapter 14 again and make sure that we cover this very well, this subject of that we must be prepared to regulate our practices for the spiritual well-being of our brethren. And in particular, I want us to think about And consider what it means. What does Paul mean? What does the scripture mean when the Bible says it speaks of our brethren being grieved, destroyed, and so on? What does it mean to be offended or to stumble? What does he mean that we put a stumbling block? I believe that If we get these things wrong, that can be terrible for a church. That can be terrible for our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so while we're here at this text, I want to cover this very, very carefully. This text is dealing with a church that had in its membership differences of opinions and practices over meats and holy days. We have in our culture many different preferences and practices when we begin to look at them, we can find that while there is great unity over the major doctrines that we hold to, there are differences. One of those differences is Christmas. I dare say that if we were to get into a room together and to discuss different things, we would find when it comes to things of liberty, 
There are some differences. And in fact, I've probably opened up my mouth behind this pulpit on this series and mentioned some things that maybe you agree with me on them and maybe you disagree with me on them. Anything from masks and vaccines to to women wearing pants to any sorts of card games and the list goes on and on. Certainly, how do we navigate through those things? And as I mentioned in the Sunday school sermon, there are some things that are more important where we shake the dust off of our shoes with some, when it, when it came to the, the gospel, right? But there's some doctrine that even we come together on that we can be a member of a church and not agree on, not everybody's going to agree on everything. In fact, <clears throat> there are sometimes I disagree with myself. I go back and looking at some of my old sermons and I think, did I really say that? I can't believe that. What kind of a what kind of a guy would say that? But you know what I've learned? Human nature is to be a lot easier on yourself as you learn and as you grow than it is to be, be on other people. The knee-jerk reaction sometimes is I can't believe you said that. You're a heretic. Why don't you see it the way I see it? And so we, we, we have to learn how to not only treat other people, but also to regulate our practices when it comes to liberty for the spiritual well-being of our brethren. Otherwise, otherwise you'll find churches splitting up all over the place. And maybe that's part of the reason why there are so many Baptist churches all over this country that are so small, and some of them are so close together, and you find out they believe very, very similar, but they split over something very small, sometimes even over issues of liberty. And so it's important for us to know what all these words mean to offend, to stumble, to grieve, to destroy, and so on. Had the church at Rome gotten this all wrong? Had the church at Corinth gotten this all wrong? Think of it. They would have split with the Jews going one way and the Gentiles going another way. And maybe it wouldn't have been even <clears throat> like that. It might have been with one group down there at the temple eating meats and another group that was vegetarian and another group that was kind of in the middle. One group over here celebrating holidays and holy days and another group treating each day alike. There could have been six or seven churches split out of the church at Rome. And Paul, as he takes these issues, 
And he takes a side finally, but he navigates it very, very carefully without splitting up the whole church on these things. <clears throat> and he does the same thing at, <clears throat> at uh, Corinth. He does the same thing at Galatia. They all had differences. They all had issues and that sort of thing. And I think it's important for us to consider this. You know, even on a day like today, we'll all leave from here and go home. Somebody might go out and do some work. Someone else might say, well, that's a sin and you shouldn't be doing that. Someone might sit down and read the newspaper and somebody might say, that's too much. All those things can cause big arguments, and they have. They have before in churches. While I've never preached a series on Christian liberty before, this series... I have preached on it from time to time, and I reached back into my archives, just making sure that I wasn't missing anything to see. And that's what, that's what, that's what kind of brought this up, this offensive. Because there was a time that I had offended a brother. And it had to do with a firearm in the church. And even though it was concealed and he never saw it, he asked me point blank if I carried a gun in a church, and I said yes. And he asked me why, and I said, well, because, <clears throat> because there's been a lot of shootings that have happened. And I said, um, I said, I've got responsibility. I said, I'm not breaking any law, not in the state of Ohio, not in the state of Kentucky. I'm not breaking God's law. But he was offended over that in the way that we use the word offend. And so that set me up to studying these things out. And so, like I said, <clears throat> like I said, this definitely goes beyond Christmas and lots of other things as well. When we use the word offend in our language, we might think, reading this, text here in Romans chapter 14. We might think that, that we should be prepared to regulate our practices, to regulate our liberties, to beware that our freedom in whatever we're doing might simply irritate, annoy, or offend somebody else. That's the way we usually think of the term. And we do live in a super sensitive culture, don't we? 
um, just go over to the public school and uh, carry a Bible into the classroom. Do you know that teachers, maybe not down here in Glen County or Brantley County, but I've heard of teachers who got into trouble not for reading the Bible in the classroom, not for teaching the Bible in the classroom, but for simply having the Bible on their desk. And one student or one parent got offended. They got irritated. They got angry and went to the school board and that teacher had to remove his Bible because of one person. That's the way that our American mind sometimes might read a text like this. And we might think, well, I've got liberty to do this, but my brother might get irritated if I do it. So let's look at the text. In Romans chapter 14, I don't believe that's what he's talking about. Let's look and see. In verse 13, it's where we'll start. He says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Okay, so first of all, he says, he says, don't judge one, one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. A stumbling block or an occasion to fall is something that would cause our brother to sin or stumble. Now, if you, if you are watching me, and I put a stumbling block here, but you don't walk here and fall over it, it's not going to do you any harm. You've simply seen me put a block there. Now, if you come over here and you walk across it, that's a different story. You've tripped on it, okay? Keep that in your mind. Your brother's not simply watching what you're doing. He's saying, don't put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in your brother's way, okay? Let's read on. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Paul says, I know. I know, there's no problem with meat. It's not unclean in and of itself. But if your brother believes it to be unclean, to him it's unclean. There's not enough messages preached about the conscience, but we've got to really understand there's something about the conscience. Okay? To my brother that was upset about the gun, he would not bring a gun into church 
it would be a sin to him for, for him to do it. That's plain and simple. And I would not ask him to bring a gun or to carry a gun. It's not a law. It's not, it's not a command. Okay. In this text, if your brother is grieved with thy meat, if he's vexed or if he's offended with your meat, okay, don't feed it to him. You're not walking in love. Think of it this way. You know your brother. He's got a problem with meat that sacrificed to idols. You invite him over to your house. You've just picked up some, some meat from the market. You know that it's come from the temple. Your brother that you say you love has come over to your house. You've invited him for dinner. You sit down. You serve him the meat. You all have a good dinner. And after dinner, you say to him, how was that meal? He says, man, that was really good. You stand up and you start laughing at his face. You say, ha ha, you know, you know what you just did? You ate meat sacrificed to idols. You know what you've done there? You have caused him to sin. You say, wait a minute, that's not a sin. There's no command against it. Oh yes, you're right. There's no command in the scripture against it. But to him, it's sin. You have not dealt charitably to your brother. You have a brother who doesn't celebrate Christmas. He hates everything to do with Christmas. You say, hey, let's, let's go for a drive. <clears throat> I want to talk to you. It's December. December the 15th. So he says, all right, coming. No, no, you don't have to come. I'll come pick you up. So you get in the car, you go to his house, you pick him up. You drive him to Jekyll Island. And it's dark. And you make sure to drive him past all the Christmas lights. What have you done? You're not dealing charitably. You see. You're trying to force him into, in, into something that is against his conscience. If your brother is grieved, if he's vexed or offended with your liberty, you're not walking in love when you do those sorts of things. Do not destroy or seriously harm the conscience of your brother with your food. In, in the text... Do not, do not destroy or seriously harm the conscience of your brother with your traditions, with your liberty. 
Douglas Moo, in commenting on this, says, being grieved, in verse 15, is often understood to denote the feelings of sadness when one experiences when others engage in behavior that is deemed inappropriate. But the grief intended here relates to eternal destruction. Thus, the weak in the text are grieved or they stumble if they imitate the behavior of the strong without having the same faith as the strong. What damages the weak then is to engage in behavior that is contrary to their faith and conscience. What happens? You're not going to destroy him eternally. You're not going to damn him to eternal hell. But what you can do is destroy him to the point, where's brother so-and-so? I wonder why Wonder why he's not at church today. Ha, ha, ha. I bet he didn't like that joke about that meat at my house. Or ha, ha, ha. I bet he didn't take that joke about me taking him. He's... He's so uptight. And I took him over to Jekyll Island to look at them lights, and you should have seen the look on his face. You see, you've got to consider your brothers. In verses 16 through 21 of Romans 14, let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. <clears throat> All that things indeed are pure, but is evil for, for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Our pursuit in this, regardless of which side you're on, regardless of where you feel you are in this, our pursuit needs to be that which builds up, not that which divides. So when it comes to issues of Christian liberty in general, or when it comes to Christmas in particular, our focus ought not to be Christmas on either side. That's why I get tired of it. I get tired of it on Facebook. I get tired of it on those brothers who, who come to churches. feel that it's their job to, to when they come and visit a church that they're not a member of. They feel it's their job to straighten out the church on these things. Why? There's, last I checked, 66 books here. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. 
Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of something that is liberty. Certainly, certainly, if a man wants to get up in a pulpit and preach about Christmas, stick to the facts. Don't make railing accusations like, if you teach your kids and grandkids about Christmas, you're making them devils. That's uncalled for. That's uncalled for. And yet it happens. Again, Paul brings us back to the idea that it's good to neither drink wine or eat meat or anything whereby your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. You see, Paul is here saying, it's okay to eat meat. It's okay to drink wine. Someone else comes along and says, well, wait a minute. You know, I've been reading in the Bible, and I've been back here in in the book of Daniel. You can go back there with me if you want. Daniel chapter 1. I've been reading about Daniel. Verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You know, I've been... I, I, I just can't eat this meat over there at the temple. I just can't drink that wine. And the brother who's sitting at the table, eating the meat, drinking the wine, he feels some kind of way. And they get into an argument. Paul says it's it's good to neither eat meat or drink wine or to do anything whereby your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak made weaker in his faith than he was before. No one's going to force the other brother to eat the meat or drink the wine. But these are the way these sort of arguments come up. And so in Romans chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, this is, this is kind of where it all comes together. Paul says, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It's not just about someone else being angry or upset at the thing we do. Paul is not just trying simply from keeping his brother from being annoyed. It's more than that. It's more than that. 
what Paul is trying to trying to do here as he walks this fine line is he's trying to keep one side from being a, a, a jerk about it. And on the other side, just trying to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, if, you, if you're not partaking of it, you're not sinning. Can you imagine if all he was doing was trying to keep them, like trying to say that if if someone's offended, if they get angry or irritated, if the vegetarian's sitting across the table from you, if he's if he's angry or irritated at your plate of meat, don't eat meat. Can you imagine what kind of mess we'd be in in his churches? Why? I mean, I might could be irritated at the color of Isaiah's shirt. And, and I don't know, Brother Barry might be irritated at the, the tie I picked out today. And, and, and all these things, and we get, in, get to talking about it, and we go home, try to fix that thing, and come back, and Isaiah would be happy with me, and I'd be happy with Isaiah, Barry and I'd be happy with each other and all that, but then Sister Tina might see something that she upset about. And, 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 and Sister Faye. And then we'd have to go and figure all those things out. And then eventually we'd just say, all right, enough is enough. We're going to have uniforms. Sovereign Grace Baptist Church is going to have uniforms. So we'd have to sit down and figure out what kind of uniform we'd want. Can you imagine trying to figure that out with the how terrible that would be. They said, well, we're just trying not to offend anybody. Try not to irritate anybody. No. We have liberty in these things. And, and while I might wear things that Brother Barry might not wear, and Isaiah wears things that I probably wouldn't wear, you know, all those sorts of things, that's okay. We, we got liberty with that. What I learned a long time ago is we can't please everybody all the time. But I also learned this a long time ago. We don't go out of our way to try to make people angry who disagree with us. And so if we've got liberty, and if we're doing something that we know other people don't like, don't flaunt it around and try to needle the other person. And so, I know some brothers who, when they have liberty on something, let's say if it's alcohol, and they, and they, and they like to sit down with, with a glass of wine at their house or whatever, they'll be a jerk about it when they're around people who, who abstain. That's wrong. They shouldn't do that. <clears throat> I know, I know some, some people who, who, who like to rattle cages and all that sort of thing and get, get debates stirred up and all that sort of... That's not the way that we should be. We ought to really think about these things. Yesterday I picked up a book and um, I, I read it all the way through. It's about 160 pages. Uh, and uh, uh, it's... 
the, the title of the book is Conscience. What it is, how to train it, and loving those who differ. Um, it's perfect timing. Brother Lewis Kiger told me about it. I guess Brother Doug Newell IV had read it. I never, I never heard of it before, but uh, several of the brothers had, had heard of it. And so I, I got it. I got it. I, I got a digital copy of it. And I read it all the way through, and it's a great book. If you, if you're inclined to want to go out and get it, it I recommend it. But um, the author of the book said the concern here is not merely that your freedom may irritate, annoy, or offend your brother or sister. If a brother or sister simply doesn't like your freedoms, that's their problem. But if your practice of freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. Okay? You see what he's saying? If they simply don't like it, that's their problem. But if your freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. That's what Paul is talking about. Christ gave up his life for that brother or sister. Brother or sister, are you unwilling to give up your freedom if that would help your fellow believer avoid sinning against conscience? That's what this passage is talking about when it refers to putting a stumbling block or hindrance in another's way. We shouldn't bring spiritual harm to others. How might your, your freedom bring spiritual harm to other professing believers? Well, Paul isn't real clear here, but Douglas Moo suggests two main possibilities. One, are engaging in an activity that another believer thinks may be wrong might encourage the other believer to do it as well. That would be sinning because they are not acting from faith. But secondly... An ostentatious flaunting of liberty on a particular matter may so deeply offend someone that he or she, ready for this, may turn from the faith altogether. Think about this. I, I don't think this happens with Christmas. But I suppose it could, but think about like with wine. Somebody has it in their head that real Christians don't drink wine. And you're around someone who is weaker in the faith, someone who's lost, someone, some, whatever the case may be, and they see you with your steak and your glass of wine and you flaunt that you know you think about those things and consider it this is important the brother who eats meat does not destroy the brother who eats meat 
the brother who drinks wine, the brother who celebrates Christmas, whatever it is, the brother who carries a gun, does not destroy the brother who does not do those things simply by doing those things in his presence. Rather, the destruction comes when the brother that does eat meat serves his meat to the brother that does not eat meat, eat meat, thereby compelling the brother that does not eat meat to eat the meat that he has served. Okay? Notice how he ends the text here in Romans chapter 14. As we go back. Romans 14. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The offense is not passive, as is usually the case when we think about it. When, when we think of offense, we think of annoying or causing displeasure, but it's active in the case of when the word means any transgression of law, divine or human, a crime, sin, act of wickedness, or omission of duty. We find similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity, but love edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world, that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, there be gods many and lords many. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat at the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. Through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. When you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, 
you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I'll eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my, my brother to offend. Paul had this knowledge that the, the meat sacrificed to idols was okay to eat. But he knew that in that knowledge was not in every brother or sister. Think of it this way, when it comes to liberty. If you were to go over to Jekyll Island and sit down to eat a steak at 80 Ocean, and they serve some good steaks over there. I heard they got a really good person working at the grill now. They serve you a steak. And, 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 and they serve, and you've got a, a younger brother there with you. And let's say that it's not today's society, it's back in the first century. You're about to eat into that steak. And your younger brother says to the waitress, Hey, where does meat come from? The waitress says, Oh, you'll love this. We just got a shipment in from the temple. This meat has been blessed. This is the best meat that you'll ever taste. That younger brother's conscience is now touched by what's sitting in front of him. Now you've got a problem. What do you do? Your pride says, well, this is steak. An idol is nothing. There's nothing wrong with this steak. I've been looking forward to this meal all day. I'm hungry. Shut up and eat the steak. Don't ask where it come from. But love says, hey, you know what? We can't eat this steak. Here's the money. Me and my brother's going to go somewhere else. And you get up and you leave the steak on the table for the sake of your brother. You see, the apostles had sent out a letter earlier that told them not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. But Paul, in his letter under divine inspiration, is pointing out to them that meat sacrificed to idols is not sin. And we're indeed at liberty to eat it. But it might be an offense. It might be a stumbling block to your weaker brothers. In other words, it could lead him into sin or be the cause of leading him into error and guilt. The church in Rome, church at Corinth, the Galatians, they all had a diverse group. 
what we find in the scriptures is that there's unity. You ready for this? Not in uniformity. But there's unity in diversity. We all have our differences. And some of us are really passionate about those differences. But the preachers of the New Testament did not pit one against another. They did not encourage division. No, no. They preached against judgment and despising. They preached to receive one another in love. You know what they got? If you go to Romans, look at this. I love this. Remember, Romans and these other epistles, they weren't originally divided by chapter and verse. But before you ever get to Romans chapter 14, there's Romans chapter 10. And look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 12. Well, let's start with verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich unto all that call upon him. There's no difference. There's no difference. He said the same thing to the Galatians over in Galatians chapter 3. In verse 28, there is neither, well, let's start with verse 26. Why not? For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. What's my point? My point is this, that even with all their differences, their, their different practices, their different preferences and all that, Paul was reminding them that there is no really no difference. We have liberty in these things, but there's really no difference. And how is it possible that they could all come together as one church, and that is Jesus Christ? That's the only place that that could happen. Anywhere else... It's all horizontal, isn't it? Any other club, any other organization, it would have been different. But the church is more vertical looking, or should be. We look Godward. We look at Christ. You have a preference. I have a preference. You have a scruple. We have differences on issues of liberty. The worst thing we can do is go and make laws about them. And that's what some churches do. 
They do that sort of thing. They make laws. You've seen, seen some churches that have got so many bylaws. Bylaw for this and a bylaw for that and this. And, and they got extra articles in the Confession of Faith about, about issues of liberty. They got all these prerequisites for church membership on liberty. You know, all these issues about church fellowship, church disciplines. Then they get together, the four of them that are meeting, and they say, oh, no one wants to come to our church because people hate the truth. Well, maybe some of that, but the other part of it might be because people think you're weird. All these extra rules and regulations and all that sort of thing that's going on. Our goal ought to be to be like the scriptures, to be like Paul. Remember uh, first first Corinthians chapter nine, and I'll and I'll quit with this. I'm thankful for this church. We don't have the kind of issues that we see in some places. First Corinthians chapter nine, verses nineteen through twenty-three. Paul modeled this. He said, "For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more." Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. This I do. For the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So Paul, Paul modeled what, what, what we all should model. The goal is to be like Christ, and I believe Paul modeled that in his ministry and his life. Lord willing. I believe next week we'll pick up Romans chapter 15. May God add a blessing to his word.